Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the October 3rd, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we'll devote the full hour to Oscar Terran, director of the Dream Center at UCI Center for Educational Partnerships. The current status of Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, you may have heard it many times referred to, and all the functions that Oscar Tehran's Dream Center offers demands our full attention this morning. Lots of deadlines, like forever deadlines. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the whole hour will be Oscar Teran, the recently appointed director of UCI DREAM. That's up, DREAM is an uppercase for your edification. The DREAM Center and possibly Jacqueline Dan, staff attorney at UCI Immigrant Legal Services Center to take up the status of the DACA program. And I'm sure you're all, let's, what are we wondering about that? What is that sound out there? Well. One explanation is it's all of the people involved in racing toward this Thursday's deadline. Actually, tonight's a deadline if you're going to FedEx your paperwork for those of you that are still renewing your DACA paperwork. So that's the sound, folks, and we got to deal with it head on. Prior to joining UCI, Scott Teran was the assistant director of career services at Chapman University Fowler School of Law, who is director of the Alumni Mentor Program at UC San Francisco Hastings School of Law, staff attorney at the Bay Area Legal Aid, California Rural Legal Assistance, Positive Resource Center, and the Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. He clerked with ACLU Immigrants Right Project. He was at the UN Counterterrorism Executive Directorate. He completed his Bachelor's of Arts in Political Philosophy at Chapman University, postgraduate work at the Universidad Blas Pascal in Cordoba, Argentina, International and Law Legal Studies at Leiden University in that town in the Netherlands, and finally, his Juris Doctor at the UC Hastings Law School. We'll introduce Jacqueline Ann and with her bio if we're able to catch her her uh, eventually during this hour. So we're very fortunate to have Oscar Taran on with us today because there is so much that is landing on his desk. I don't know what his inbox looks like. It's probably a lot taller than the outbox is. And he's coming to us today from where he's He's recuperating. He's been very generous to muster everything he's got to keep helping out the students and give us this, what we'll call like an hour-long PSA. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Oscar Teran. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, thank you for the kind introduction, and thank you for this opportunity to talk about our work. The work as it piles. Well, let's start with you laying out exactly what the purview of the Dream Center is, along with making a distinction between DACA, Deferred Action Childhood Arrivals, and Dreamers. Yes. So the work of the Dream Center, I actually was trying to break this down in pieces. Yes. And uh, in writing it all out, I realized we do so much. But if I had to boil it down, our stated mission is to ensure the personal professional, and academic success of AB 540 and undocumented students on UCI's campus. And when I use the term AB 540, that's a term that you'll hear sometimes thrown out in this work. AB 540 is the California state law that allows qualified students to access in-state tuition, as well as several other benefits at California public institutions of higher learning the UCs, the CSUs, and California Community Colleges. So a lot of students identify as AB 540. If you hear that term, that's what it means. But we serve those students, and we serve them, like I said, in this really comprehensive way. Uh, we like to think of our services as wraparound services. We are here to do everything possible in order to ensure the success of students. Now, what does that look like in terms of actual programs? Yes. We uh, have several 
that we offer to students. The first is that we offer a bridge program for incoming freshmen to help them with that transition into UCI, to ensure that they build a sense of community, to make sure that they have the tools to be academically successful while they're here, and to help them explore their identity as undocumented individuals and what that means for their career within college. So we do that through a program called the Dream Scholars Program that's available to incoming freshman students. It's a uh, credit course. Um, a year-long commitment. They take it through all of the quarters of their first year. And that program is done in collaboration with student success initiatives. We sort of handle the pieces of the program that are about leadership development, identity exploration, community building, and then our partners at Student Success Initiatives handle the aspects of the program that are really about academic success and empowerment. In addition to that, we've got a full lineup of workshops and events that we put on through the course of the year. Uh, these are just sort of one-off opportunities that are designed to raise awareness about immigrant rights issues and develop the capacities of students. We have a support group that we offer in collaboration with our counseling center on campus, and this is an opportunity for students who are experiencing anxiety, depression, the emotional impact of all of this. This gives them the opportunity to come in and with professional support and guidance actually deal with those issues so that they can focus on their academic success. We, of course, offer legal services. As you mentioned, Jacqueline Dan is our staff attorney, and she provides representation to students for free on any immigration-related matter, and she also represents the immediate family members of students, which is a tremendous benefit, because even if we have, let's say, a U.S. citizen student who isn't impacted by immigration issues, they may have a parent or they may have a sibling that is not a U.S. citizen that is impacted by that, and that can be just as much of a challenge for that student as if though they were facing it themselves. We also offer one-on-one -on -one consultations with students. They can make an appointment to come into the office and speak to either myself or our assistant director, Anna Miriam Barragon. And those consultations are really invaluable because that allows us to get to know the students. It helps the students feel like they have an ally, an advocate on campus, and we can talk through whatever issues the student may be facing, and we can connect them with resources throughout campus in order to address those. We have a community advocate internship program. This is for upperclassmen. You know, we have our freshman program that we mentioned for first-year students. This would be for students in their second year and beyond. And this program is designed to really focus on the leadership development aspect. So it's a course that students take, and during the first half of the course, they work on developing ideas for an event or a program on campus or in the community connected to immigrant rights. And then we have a review of all of those proposals that they create, all the ideas that they generate. We pick a certain amount of them to actually execute and fund. And then the second half of the course, the students get to actually create those events in the community. And that's been a tremendous benefit. Finally, we offer ally trainings on campus throughout the year. And this is a course that we offer to staff members, faculty members, community members, where you sit down and in five hours, it's a long commitment, but during those five hours, you learn everything that you need to know about how to be an ally for undocumented students and how to support them in their success. Okay, we're going to go from there and we're going to go yeah. backward throughout all these programs that you mentioned. So yeah. the next Allied Training Program to, for sign-up, what are the deadlines? And tell us where we start with that. that that's Great. a later question I'm going to bring up, but let's bring it up now while you're talking about the Allied Training. This is so what, I don't have the current date for our next scheduled one, but it will be sometime this quarter. And probably within the next week, we'll be sending out campus-wide emails letting people know when the date is and what the process is to register. Okay, and that date for listeners who are waiting for that, watch askaleader.com in my podcast summary. I will post that information. And so can they, they can see that on your website at the Dreamers Resources office, correct? Correct. That you'll post that? And then yes. the number for appointments do I have this 824-6390? That's where they call in for appointments? Yes, but we also have, through the website, the ability just to click on Make an Appointment, okay. and that will connect you to our online scheduling tool. You can connect that way. You can email me directly or on a Miriam. Really, feel free to get in contact with us in any way, and we would be glad to set up an appointment with you. Excellent. So back to the Allied Training Program, who isn't, I'm, I'm thinking practically everybody's eligible. Who is not eligible, or do you, how do you want to approach that? To attend the Allied Training? Correct. 
So the ally training would be members of the UCI community. So that would be staff members and faculty members. We have a program for students to be peer allies, but that's a little bit different but than community our members? staff member ally training. Oh, Scott, I'm thinking of community members that like live right up the hill that are, you know, they're a spitting distance away from the campus or people around the town. Well, as of yet, we don't have the capacity okay. um, to include non-UCI staff members, but certainly we really value you know, the contributions that folks in the community generally are making to us in our efforts, and we can always find ways for, the, for them to get involved. Okay, we we'll actually talk about that had then. a program last night yes? that was an art show, which is going to be available in our office for the next week. So if anyone is interested, come by the Dream Center. You can see an amazing art program that showcases the migrant experience. So come and see that. But at the debut last night, we had um, several people from the community that contacted us that wanted to be involved, and we were able to incorporate them into the evening. One of them read a beautiful poem as part of our introduction. So we always have opportunities for folks to get involved. Well, you know, I'm not above sending word to the people that are administering the Pacific Standard Time region-wide Latino art collections around. But you say it's only going to be there for about one week? Yes, we have it for one week. The artist is from Tucson, Arizona. She actually drove out with all of the material for this exhibition, installed it yesterday, and she gave a presentation to talk about the work, and she'll be coming back next week in order to take it down and take it back home with her. All right, we'll have a look-see at that. So then there's all these programs besides the one you're talking about, Allied Training, that I'm not sure if they're newly minted ones. You had to really respond quickly in terms of since DACA was first... Well, it was sort of codified. I don't know if that's the term we want to use because it's such a moving target now. But the the community advocate internship, was that made from whole cloth in the last couple of years? So even though we're a brand new center on campus and I'm very new to my position, uh, we have the benefit of building on an established program that did exist on campus. So the current assistant director of our center, Anna Miriam Barragon, was the program coordinator that was delivering undocumented student services. Yes, we've had her here. Mm-hmm. Here. And that program used to exist under our Student Outreach and Retention Center, SOAR. Um, but it was one of the many programs that they do. This was just one piece of their work. Okay. But in recognition of the tremendous success of the program and the increased student need, it was decided that we would create an independent center. So we are brand new, but luckily we're kind of building on success, and we've got a few programs that have been a few years in the making. Okay, and the you talked about the legal services. Yes. It's a moving target, but you're, it must be overwhelming, all of the, because there's so many different... <sighs> It is. I mean, Jacqueline wishes that she could have been with us today, but she's actually on her way to court, and she's in court yes. almost every day. And, you know, we're going to talk, I know, a little bit later about our clinic that we did for doctor renewals. That's a great example, but she is just working so hard in order to meet the legal needs of all of our students. Yes. And we'll get to how much bandwidth that takes up psychologically yes. for them to handle with that. We'll get to that, too. So then there's the Raising Awareness Program at the Counseling Center. So who's, who are you capturing there? Is it like peers that don't have a clue about how difficult this is, or it's sort of both sides of the DACA equation? So and are you referring to the program that we offer for, like, uh, peer ally training for students? Well, the Raise Awareness one. I'm not sure what it is. Well, maybe the one in the Counseling Center you mentioned. Well, the one in the Counseling Center is actually a collaboration that we have with them to do a support group for students. Okay, good. So as you can imagine, in this climate, a lot of folks are really scared. Um, Folks feel anger. They feel anxiety. They feel fear. And that's really impacting their ability to be successful in school and to make important decisions about their academic career. And so we want to provide a resource to deal with the emotional fallout from all of this. And we have an amazing partnership with the Counseling Center, who is phenomenal. They're obviously experts in what they do. They really understand the student experience. And they have several people on staff that are dedicated to serving undocumented individuals. And they really understand that unique experience as well. And so in collaboration with them, we have this regular support group. It's called the Undocu Eaters Support Group, uh, Undocu and Eaters. And they meet on a regular basis. And it's a place for students just to come and get that emotional support. Well, I was saving this for a little bit later, but I guess while we're talking about that emotional support and all, are 
you able to assess whether there is now an uptick in vulnerable uh, incidences of their vulnerability in terms of sexual assaults, in not following up with getting health care, in, in some kind of opening up health crisis? Are, are you able to, to see an uptick of vulnerability while this sort of uh, uncertainty looms over DACA applicants and renewals? I think it's absolutely true that we've seen an increase in self-reports about stress, anxiety, and depression. And as we all know, those stressors can have compounding effects in all areas of a person's life, um, in particular their physical and their emotional health. And so absolutely we're seeing a lot more students come to us with these issues, and I think we're going to start seeing how those issues are then impacting other aspects of their life. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about a student that I worked with, actually not at UCI, but in my previous position at um, Chapman University, but this was a student who, you know, was feeling a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression as a result of everything that's been happening with DACA, and that experience actually ended up being a triggering event for the student, basically kind of having an emotional breakdown and having to withdraw from classes and spending some time away from school. And so I think, you know, that's one person's experience, and people are, are going to deal with these things in different ways. But I think it is absolutely true that the increased amount of stress and anxiety is going to have an impact on people's abilities to succeed in school. So... I'm going to figure out, this This may come up in this issue and other aspects that were covered. The bridge program, that has been, has that not been established for quite a while, even before DACA? But just bridging, now it's sort of focusing on the DACA eligible? The, the Dream Scholars. Ah, the Dream Scholars. So yes, our Dream Scholars has been in effect, um, I believe, for three years. And I know that there are other departments on campus that do sort of similar yes. first-year experiences. Right. But this is one that we created in-house specifically for undocumented students. This year, I think we're probably going to, well, we know we're getting more students than we've ever had before. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that incoming undocumented students are feeling a lot of uncertainty, and they're really looking for a sense of community. And this is one opportunity for them to build a community with a group of people that understand their experience and want to support them in it. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the entire hour is Oscar Teran, director of the Dream Center at UCI Center for Educational Partnerships. This is strictly administrative coverage, the politics of this area with the attendant moving targets. It'll be safe for another program, folks. I'm not going to be politicizing this at all. It's all administration. And we've got guests who've been on previously who will take up the politicization of, uh, and politics of this. So let's go on then to whether you're serving just UCI students or are there... Are there other campuses that are taking this up with comparable offices in Orange County? Are you capturing everybody in Orange County? That's an excellent question. So fortunately, here in Orange County, there um, are offices at our sister colleges uh, throughout the region. So Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Long Beach, many of our community colleges have dedicated uh, Dreamer Resource Centers. We're very fortunate in that regard. Some of the smaller private universities, I think you see more variation there. Uh, many of them don't have formal offices to support folks, but they do have resources and they have allies on campus. But just given their smaller student populations, they might not necessarily have a dedicated staff or a dedicated office. But luckily uh, at UCI, we're, we have the benefit of that. And like I mentioned, our, our Cal State colleges here in the area do as well. In total, Nine out of the 23 California State University campuses have a dedicated Dreamer Resource Center, and wow. all of the UC campuses have a dedicated Dreamer Resource Center. So even if folks are at other universities, there's typically a place where they can access help. That being said, if there's anyone in the community listening that uh, wants support or has questions, we would be glad to talk to you, and to the extent that we can connect you with resources or we can 
you know, wrap you into, into what we do, we would be glad to. Some of our services in particular, the courses that we offer and some of the formal programs, those are limited to enrolled UCI students. But a lot of what we do extends beyond that. So I mentioned the art show that we had last night. Yes. There were community college students that were there, folks that are interested in transferring to UCI or folks that just wanted to learn more about what we were doing. So we're always looking to connect with other students from other campuses, and to the extent that we can help them, we're glad to. And you uh, anticipate my next question there. With How seamless is it for, let's say, a community college DACA transfer to the UCI campus with the needs that they have uh, as DACA students? <sighs> Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we're fortunate to have this infrastructure that makes for a very seamless transfer. You know, there are a tremendous amount of resources on UCI's campus. All of the activities that our center does, as well as many other departments on campus, serving undocumented folks. And I'd like to think of us, actually, as a leader in a lot of ways in what we do. So I think a student that's transferring from a community college or another institution is likely to find that they're walking into a world of increased resources. The, a bigger net that's catching yeah. them in this acrobatics, not to make yeah. light of it at all. Well, up until the change in the policy with respect to DACA, when the president had suspended DACA, the DACA program, mm -hmm. and, and actually, I could, well, I'll bring up what the website looks like a little bit later, but mm -hmm. so with the change in the policy before the suspension, what was the completion rate that the DACA students getting their degrees in, well, let's just say at UCI you can speak to. That's an excellent question, and the truth is, unfortunately, I can't answer it because we have never, in our short history, really had the capacity to do rigorous data collection. And when I kind of think about it, you know, I think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, sort of that pyramid. The triage. And, you know, the most basic needs being just sustenance and, and shelter, um, physical care, right? And then we get into the higher level needs of development all the way to self-actualization. And I think in the few years that we've been in existence, the needs of our students have been so significant and so basic. You know, a lot of times we spend so much of our energy and time just meeting the, the very basic needs of students. Do they have access to housing that they can afford? How are they doing with access to food? You know, how are they doing emotionally? Or do they have a support network? All of those things. And so our focus really has been that, and we haven't gotten to sort of the some of the higher level stuff in the data collection. Uh, we're now entering a, a period, I think, where we are starting to develop the bandwidth in order to do that. And I mentioned that this was the first year where we're collaborating with student success initiatives on campus um, in order to deliver the Dream Scholar program. And part of that collaboration, what's going to make it so powerful, is that they do have the ability to actually collect data about the academic performance of okay. the participants in the program. So hopefully in a year or two, we'll be able to make statements about how these services impact students, and we can, in a concrete way, quantify um, the success of what we're doing. But right now, it's kind of all anecdotal. But what I can tell you anecdotally is that undocumented individuals are absolutely some of the most resilient students um, and driven students that you're ever going to meet. By definition of the fact that they're here, they have overcome tremendous obstacles to their academic success. They have persevered with a fierceness that is astounding. Um, and I think many of those qualities allow them to be very successful despite challenges that are thrown up in front of them. Well, Oscar, since I've covered this, when the DREAM Act collapsed in December of 2010, the, the academics that have talked to this are talking about, th this is like a, a cohort, a class of overachievers with all yeah. the resilience that they've mustered to get where they are. Well, I, I guess I'd like to just send an all-points bulletin out to uh, anybody in the School of Social Sciences or the School of Social Ecology. They're looking for a really good Ph.D., dissertation to start working on man the data they yes. let's let them let's press them in a service 
And I don't know how difficult is it, though, you're going to have to mask identities because this is a very vulnerable population right now and increasingly. Exactly. I mean, that's been one of the challenges. I mentioned our lack of bandwidth and our focus just on meeting basic needs. But I think another really important overlay is that data security is incredibly important when we're talking about the student population that we serve. We want to make sure that everything we do benefits these students and that we never increase the amount of risk that they face. And that makes data collection really challenging. So if there are any folks out there that have some ideas about how they might want to get involved or how they can support us, you know, I'm all ears. They call about Oscar that. Turan then. Okay. Or email them on, email you there. Okay. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to just sit in a few lobbies and put a sandwich board at this, <laughs> your dissertation here kind of a thing. <laughs> Well, no, really, they 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 yeah. they want purpose, and you've got it in spades. So definitely. Well, for those people who still have a sort of a a demographic fixation on who DACA students are, what do you tell us as represented on the UCI campus? What are the nationalities of DACA students? You know, I think that's a really interesting point because many folks associate DACA students with Mexican Americans. And I think certainly the face of much activism around DACA has sprung out of the Latino community, but undocumented individuals come from all over the world. And here at UCI and at other college campuses, we're serving people from all over the world. So we do have a lot of undocumented students from throughout Latin America, not just Mexico, but Central America, South America, the Caribbean. Um, But in addition to that, we have a pretty significant portion of students that um, are API, uh, Asian Pacific Islander students. So these are folks who may have been born um, in South Korea. That's a a pretty common uh, national origin of folks that we serve. We also have a lot of students that were born in Southeast Asia. We have students that we serve that were born in countries in Africa. And we even have students that we've served that have been born in Western Europe. So... This is an issue that impacts people from all over the world, from a variety of different cultures, and even from a variety of different walks of life. There is no one face of DACA. There is no one face of the dreamer. It's an incredibly diverse coalition of students that are impacted. Okay. When we then go to the U.S. Government Citizenship and Immigration Services website, we're greeted with the disclaimer that the website is in fact this is the quote, archived content, and that the, quote, page contains information that is no longer current but remains on our site for reference purposes, end of quote. That kind of institutional kind of, I don't know, uh, hole punched in that way, safety yeah. net in of itself would give us an idea of how confounding those circumstances are for DACA applicants and renewals to be to operating in. Can you... Explain for us, Oscar Taran, what provisions are currently in place. We've got the September 5th deadlines passed for the applications for employment authorization documents for DACA's. That expired September 4th. But could you lay out the deadlines, including today's a very important day for the final renewal process as the program exists? So you point out the truth that This is a moving target, and there's a lot of really complicated information that folks need to sort through in order to know what's happening. I will do my best to distill that down into the bullet points that folks need to know right now. I think the first thing that everyone needs to understand is that as of today, for students that have DACA grants, nothing has changed. There is the announcement of the rescission and, of course, all the complexities that come into play with understanding what that means. But as of today, if you have a DACA grant, those benefits that you receive under DACA continue to remain valid until the expiration of your grant. Now, that means we've got to talk about the expirations of the grants, though. So on September 5th, the administration announced that they were rescinding the DACA program, but it's really a phased-in rescission. So... Over the next two and a half years, we will be seeing folks losing their DACA protections, but it's not something that's happening overnight. The most immediate deadlines that people need to be aware of, though, are the opportunities to renew their current DACA grant. So if you have a current DACA grant 
and that grant expires before March 5th of 2018, you have the opportunity to renew for one more two-year cycle. However, that renewal has to be filed by October 5th. That's Thursday. Yes. So that's, I mean, that's this week. That's in a couple of days. And that's really has been one of the the tremendous needs that we've been trying to meet and that all providers have been trying to meet over the past several weeks is renewing as many DACAs as we can. And I know that you know we'll get an opportunity to talk about our DACA renewal clinic, but folks have been doing clinics all over the all country. All over the state and the state, yes. And the state, because this is so important. So if you have the opportunity to renew, you need to renew before October 5th. You will then receive another two-year grant and that final expiration date will be the end of your DACA protections. For those folks that don't renew, or for those folks whose current DACA grants expire after March 5th of 2008, they will have DACA protections until the end of their current grant. So over the next two and a half years, we will see in chunks individuals losing those DACA protections depending upon the expiration date of their individual grant. So let's break down what's happening right now that the paperwork should be making its Federal Expressway today in order for it to be received by the deadline on Thursday in D.C., correct? Is that yes, what's working? and um, there are opportunities still to get that paperwork taken care of. There are a lot of last-minute clinics that are here to help and okay. attorneys that want to help. I know we spoke to a student yesterday that connected with Jacqueline, our staff attorney, and I know Jacqueline up until the last minute is still going to continue to work on these, and there are other nonprofits in the community that are doing the same. So if you have the opportunity to renew and you haven't renewed yet, please contact our office, and we'll try our best to see if we can't get you some help. So, Oscar, how much does that paperwork cost? So uh, the renewal fee, and I'm sorry I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. This is more of Jacqueline's territory, but I believe it's 480-something. It's a little bit less than $500. Okay. Um, And then, of course, if you were to pay an attorney to actually do the renewal itself, there might be a few hours of work that would be entailed there. The good news, though, is because of all of the attention on this very important issue, there is no reason why anyone has to pay a dime in order to renew DACA. There are plenty of free legal services that are available. All of our services are free. A lot of other nonprofits in the community are free. Some of the big ones here in Orange County are the Public Law Center in Santa Ana, as well as Catholic Charities. They've been doing free DACA renewals. And then the renewal fee itself that you have to pay uh, in order to renew, that is also covered. There's been a real mobilization of the philanthropic community, and there are a lot of foundations that are giving grants and scholarships in order to cover the fees. So, for example, when we did our DACA renewal, every single one of those students that we renewed for had a grant that covered their renewal fee, and there was zero out-of-pocket cost. So are you wanting to use this radio platform as a solicitation for any additional contributions, or you think there's probably enough coming in? There there certainly is enough coming in. My sense is that we've got that piece covered. If folks are in a position to support the work, I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of need um, over the coming years to ensure that folks who lose their DACA are able to successfully complete their education. That's going to be one of the most pressing needs. But in terms of DACA renewal fees, fortunately, I think most folks have been able to get that covered so far. And then there's a, I don't know how how nano the detail is, but the eligibility for destroyed or stolen EADs are those employment authorization documents. That's called Form I-765. What do we need to know about, because I'm I'm sure paperwork gets gets shuffled around, lost or ruined. So what what do we need to know about that? So the sort of specifics on that, I can't really speak to, um, even though I am an attorney, my focus at this point over the past couple of years has really been sort of program administration right. Um, right. within academic institutions, so I don't want to talk too much about the specifics and get something wrong. But what I would say is that we are fortunate to have Jacqueline as a resource, and all the UC campuses have staff attorneys that are available. Okay. And if someone finds themselves in a situation where a document has been lost or destroyed or they've got some kind of question about anything related to immigration, we have attorneys that will represent you, that will consult with you. And again, there's no cost. Just make an appointment. Okay. 
For those of you just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Oscar Terran, director of the Dream Center at UCI's Center for Educational Partnerships. We are talking about where DACA is today. It's a, an essential week going on with a Thursday deadline. It's a deadline today, Tuesday, if you're listening live, for getting this paperwork out the door and on back over into the offices in, in D.C., so what can you tell us transpired? I really wanted to be a fly on the wall, but that you were all very, very protective of every person who was getting processed, yes. so to speak, at the September 24th law school workshop for DACA students. Can you be, be our correspondent since uh, you had sure. to be very protective of everybody that was getting their work done then? We, we were, and we try to be protective in all the work that we do. You know, as we've talked about, students face really unique challenges when there are undocumented individuals on campus. And we want to make sure that every service we provide, we provide in a manner that's going to make them feel comfortable, it's going to make them feel supported, and doesn't compromise their privacy in any way. And especially when we're talking about the legal services that we offer, that confidentiality is so crucial to what we do. So that's why the, the clinic itself was closed. Only individuals that had been pre-screened and were going to be receiving services were allowed to attend. All of our volunteers that attended received really rigorous training, and there was you know, a lot of information about confidentiality that was given to volunteers. So we made sure it was a really protected, closed environment um, for folks. But uh, I was there, and so I can tell you all about what happened. We served, I believe it was approximately 24 students with DACA okay. renewals. We had about an equal ratio of volunteers to students. Our volunteers were local attorneys as well as some law school students. There were also a few non-attorneys from the UCI campus, other staff members, and a couple of faculty members that came and handled some of the non-legal work that needed to be done. But each volunteer, each legal volunteer, sat down with one client student, and they were able to really accomplish two fantastic things that night. Okay. They were able to take care of the DACA renewal. They got all of the paperwork taken care of. I mentioned that the fees had been covered for all of the students, yes. and so the checks were cut and ready to go. They put everything into the FedEx envelopes. It was reviewed multiple times to ensure that everything was perfect and accurate, and then everything was sent off. The entire DACA renewal from beginning to end was covered in that one night. But the other really great benefit that we were able to offer all of the student um, clients was a full legal screening. So after okay. the DACA was done, the legal volunteer went through a series of questions with the student client in order to make sure that there was no other legal opportunity that might exist for this individual to get status. What's an example? Um, so as an example, this actually didn't come out of this last clinic. This came out of a clinic that I was involved in earlier okay. in the year. But there was a student that came in, and the student believed that they were undocumented, and the student had applied for DACA, and the student was coming in with some help related to this application for DACA. In interviewing the student, though, the student tells us their story, and the student says that they were brought to the United States when they were about four years old by their mother, who had moved prior to that and had been living in the States for a few years. And while the mother was in the States, she had actually married a U.S. citizen. And so they brought the, the children over. Individuals were coming from Mexico. And the student says, yeah, and I remember when I got here, oh. I had a green card. But I spoke to my mom, and she said that that green card expired. And at the time that it expired, she didn't have the money to renew it. And so that's why I'm undocumented. And the minute that the student said that, like it was, it was a red flag moment. Mm -hmm. And the reason it was was because when you receive a green card, that represents lawful permanent resident status. Yes. They're referred to as LPRs. That status is for life. Once you receive it, you have it for life. The green card itself is only proof of the status. And yes, the card, like your driver's license, expires every so often, and you have to pay you know, an administrative fee in order to get a new card. But if you don't renew the card, you don't lose the status. Wow. This student actually had lawful permanent resident status, but didn't even realize it. Okay. And because she had had lawful permanent resident status for a certain amount of years, she qualified to naturalize as a U.S. citizen. Okay. And the fee for doing that was less than the fee for obviously getting DACA, which she 
didn't need in the first place because she had a pathway to citizenship. And she gets her N-400 filled out. That's what we do at the citizenship So, I mean, this is an example of how this is an incredibly complex area of law. A lot of folks that are caught up in the system may not understand all of the options available to them, and they may actually be missing something. And so it's really, really important that they get these immigration screenings in order to figure out if there is any alternative that they have. And, you know, there often are cases where there are viable alternatives. They just need to make sure that they talk to an attorney to figure that out. Wow. That was another aspect of the law school workshop, September 24th, the full legal screening. Would you like to tell us a little bit more? Or there are, you've given us one really interesting kind of a a case study here for people to wrap their minds around and understand how this is going on. Can you give us both what happened in addition at the law school workshop and some, some other stories that help us really understand the confounding aspects here? Sure. So, like I mentioned, we were able to serve approximately, I believe it was 24 student clients. And, you know, in addition to this great work that we were doing for them, the DACA renewal and the legal screening that they were receiving, I think the other great benefit of this was the the increased knowledge on the part of our volunteers about these issues. So we were able to bring in volunteers from our law school law school students, as well as several attorneys in the community. And the attorneys that we brought in, actually, interestingly, I I don't think any of them specialized in immigration. Um, We had folks that practiced in lots of different areas. And so this was an opportunity for them to really learn about this area of law that was new to them. And for the law school students, it was a tremendous opportunity to learn. I mean, I remember talking to some of the law school student volunteers at the end of the night, and they were so impacted by the work that they were doing, and they really felt, for some of them the first time, that they were able to really get in and get their hands dirty and practice and, you know, implement all the things that they had been learning in school in a real-world setting and actually seeing the impact on an individual client. So it was a tremendous experience both for the volunteers and for the students. And the other important thing to understand, you know, 24 might not sound like a really significant number, um, but it absolutely is. I was talking to Jacqueline, our staff attorney, after the clinic, and she mentioned, like, if I had done these one by one, which is what she normally does with her work, she said that would have been like a couple weeks worth of work. And we were able to do it in one night in a couple of hours. So it was a great way of accelerating the impact of what we do. The other thing to mention, too, really quickly, is that this has all happened during the summer, which has been one of the logistical challenges in delivering services, because a lot of our students during the summer are scattered. They may go home for the summer. They may have internships in different locations for the summer or jobs. And so this was a coordinated effort across all UC campuses. There were clinics that were held at, I think, almost every single campus, and we advertised them broadly throughout the system so that students could attend clinics closest to wherever they were located during the summer, even if that wasn't their home campus. Wow, all hands on deck. Well, the Nina Agrawal LA Times article this morning about DACA renewals talks about all that the pace everywhere around the state, since I guess California has about a quarter of the 800,000 DACA eligible people. That yes. Are. So that's that's quite a phenomenal number. Well, I guess, too, when you're processing that many, at least they're getting a, a substantial positive feedback loop of that success there. And they could, that's a, an intangible thing, benefit, I think, would be very important for all of those 24 people. Yes, absolutely. I think we were able to really offer them a significant benefit that night. Yeah, big one. Well, I asked about the vulnerability of those, and I guess what I'd like to do is find out if maybe somebody can come back from your office. You're going to be snowed here. Everybody's going to be snowed for quite a while. But but I, I want for us to understand where people are falling through the cracks with assaults on them where they're not getting the health care because they're, they're staying low. And I, I'm going to mention one anecdotal DACA incident where my DACA well-acquainted friend, she has suspended her Cal State system studies so yes. that she can deal with her own activism addressing the whole DACA suspension. So there's there's a lot of adjustments going on, and I think any of us in this privileged class of having our documents all sorted out, that we'd, 
we need to understand how much of a hit this is taking for their their best laid plans. That's no, it. absolutely. I think that's a, a perfect example, and I know that we've served students in the past few weeks that have had to make that same decision about whether or not they're even going to come back this quarter, whether or not they were going to finish out their degree. And these are really hard decisions, but you know they're dealing with the uncertainty of perhaps losing DACA. If they lose DACA, many students will lose the ability to work lawfully in this country, and that may have been you know, the primary way that they were supporting their education was through their own labor. And if they're no longer able to work, you know, they've got to figure out, well, how do I afford school? Maybe even before, how do I afford school? How do I keep a roof over my head? How do I stay in my apartment? How do I pay for food? How do I pay for transportation? Um, so that's a really significant, significant concern, and a lot of folks are debating whether or not they're able to continue their education. I think the other impact that I've seen and read a lot about, there was a recent New York Times article just a few weeks ago about this phenomenon nationally, but one of the primary ways that folks come into contact with law enforcement is through traffic stops and citations. Right. And there has been a tremendous decrease in the desire to drive for individuals if they're facing some kind of an immigration issue, if you know, they're fearful that they're about to lose their protection against deportation, or perhaps if they don't have DACA, um, if they don't have a valid license, these are all things that are dissuading them from driving. And what that means is people are getting trapped. They are not as mobile uh, as they once were, and they may not have the same ability to access school or make other types of appointments that uh, are away from their home. So we're seeing really significant practical consequences of what's happening. And I think all of those practical consequences are having a tremendous impact on people's lives. And we're, we're seeing how that's impacting other areas, including their education. There is another very vulnerable population associated with dogs, and we haven't even brought them up. I'm going to have to pair, shoehorn a few things as we're going to bring this to a close in the next six, eight minutes. They are the parents of the DACA applicants and renewees? Yes. So I would say family members as a whole um, are implicated in this. Like I mentioned, our services aren't just for undocumented individuals, but therefore the family members and loved ones of undocumented individuals. Because you may have a U.S. citizen student, but they have parents that are undocumented, or they have siblings that are undocumented. The other variation on that that I think is real and significant are DACA recipients that have U.S. citizen children, and they're now having to think, what does this mean for my family and for my child's future if I'm deported or if I can no longer work and I can no longer contribute to supporting our family? So this is a ripple effect, right? It's not just about DACA recipients. It's not just about undocumented individuals. And let's remember there are many, many undocumented students and undocumented individuals in our country that never received DACA. But it's also about all of the people that they love and that love them that they're connected to. And that count on them for their living here, maintain the livelihoods that support those other family members. Well, here's your chance. Tell us what you want community members to step up and do right now and for the rest of the next let's say year and a half. What do you what would you like ultimately? Um, I would encourage individuals that care about this to learn as much as they can, connect with undocumented activists and undocumented students, hear from them what the issues are, hear from them what the needs are, and hear from them what the opportunities for collaboration and support are. The other thing that I think is super important is that right now, the future of undocumented immigrants and DACA recipients really lies in many ways, not exclusively, but in many ways with Congress. And there are several bills that have been introduced attempting um, to provide a pathway forward. And I think that we need to hold our congressional representatives accountable, and they need to know that people care about this. So those would be the two messages I would leave you with, is learn from undocumented activists and undocumented individuals how you can help and what the needs are, and make sure that our local elected Uh, officials know that this is an issue that's important to you. Are you looking still for any kind of pro bono attorney, paralegal kind of, you know, in processing everybody? 
I'm always interested to hear if someone wants to contribute to the work that we do on a daily basis. You know, we're fortunate to have a really strong core of volunteers and allies, but certainly if someone wants to join that group, I'd be glad to talk to them. Okay. Are there any events at your Dreamers Resources office that are coming up some more scheduled, some special events that we can post today and I can put in the podcast summary? Well, I would say the the one that we have going on right now is a great opportunity to learn more about this issue in a really interesting way, and that is the art show that we have going on. Right. It's an art show put on by an artist who actually goes into the desert and does Samaritan work where she offers aid, food, and water to immigrants that are crossing. As part of doing that, she has collected artifacts throughout the years and has built a series of sculptures and shrines out of them. Those are all on display in the Dream Center office, which is located in Lot 5 of UCI. We're in the Anteater Community Resource Center, and I encourage everyone to come by and see the art and really reflect on the immigrant experience. That is beautiful. So you want to close with maybe one essential case study that gives us something to sort of go out with? No, there's not one that I would think of. Um, I hope that in our talk people have gotten a sense of what the stakes are and what we're doing to help and what they can do to help. And I just encourage you, if you care about this topic, to remain involved and to remain informed. Okay. Well, we are so fortunate that Oscar Teran could be available today with all that is going on. I want to thank you for joining us. Oscar Teran is director of the Dream Center at UCI's Center for Educational Partnerships. Your headwinds are tremendous. Thank you for all that you're holding together, and thanks for the time on the radio show today. Thank you, Claudia, for the opportunity. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's right, folks. Always my DACA theme. So last week's notes I gave, I concluded the show with pertaining to the House Resolution 2159, the SHARE Act, which includes various provisions to roll back regulations on gun silencers, making it easy for anyone to get a silencer without a background check. It was going to eliminate some of the regulations dealing with armor-piercing bullets, loosening the federal law and that would allow the reciprocity of concealed and carry weapon permits to cross state lines. And so that the lax Nevada concealed and weapon could move over into the, uh, to California, those permits. So watching for what might happen on the floor this week, I imagine they're gonna defer given what happened in Las Vegas last Sunday. Watch for House Resolution 2059. Oh, one item you can do that the Brady Center for the Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence, they suggest to text Love Las Vegas to 877-877 to speak to your member of Congress and urge them to strengthen gun laws. Well, that is going to be my wrap. Next week, we'll hear from political commentator Charles Sykes about his new book, How the Right Lost Its Mind, as well as we'll bring back Shahir Mazri to finish what we started last week about climate science. Talk with you next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>